right, welcome back to Firewall. I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. It is a Tuesday episode, so with us is our friend and producer, Hugo Lundgren. Hugo, how you doing? Bradley, I think we should owe, we, we owe the listeners an apology. For what? We, we were off on Thursday, which we've, I, I don't think we've done that in like two years. And you know what? We, we, we don't, I'm just going to fess up to why we were off. You are? Yeah. <laughs> I had a shitty, shitty, we were supposed to record on Wednesday for Thursday. I had a, a shitty day Tuesday, and I just decided I needed a break, and therefore I canceled Wednesday's recording. Uh, you and I are recording that guest right after this, uh, and we missed it. I will say this is the flip side of this being a total DIY project, right? We don't have advertisers. We're not on an official platform of any kind. Nobody pays us any money, so therefore we have no responsibility to anyone except, except arg- listeners. arguably the listeners. But even then, it doesn't cost you anything. So no, and there's plenty not, of other things to listen yeah, to. Yeah, maybe not really you either. So po- point being, I understood what I was doing, and I thought, and it's, it's, our, it's funny because the topic of today's podcast is wellness, that the best thing that I could do in the big picture was to actually skip the podcast on Wednesday. Uh, and I don't regret it. Yeah, no, I think it was it was definitely the right decision, and and like I said, no, there no no harm, no foul. But the um, for for today, I wanted to do one topic which we don't usually do, but mm-hmm. I'm going to cheat for a second. Um, so Bradley's going to talk about this this piece he's written called "My Wellness Routine Is Killing Me," which I think is excellent, and I wanted to just devote the whole episode to that. But just because the craziest thing happened last week, I just want to say, do you have anything? Just as a sh- small remark, you want to say about the Google Gemini stuff? Oh, <laughs> pretty hilarious! I mean, almost too good. No, it's almost, well, he, it's like a parody. He, here's what I was thinking: because if, if you take that, and then there was another article in some publication, probably the New York Post, uh, over the weekend, talking about it felt more substantive than a Post article, kind of a a Google engineer who was told that he couldn't be promoted any further than he was because he was a white male. And then he left, started some other startup, and sold it for a billion dollars. Um, we talk a lot about this podcast generally about the fact that nothing ever stays the same. And one of the reasons why antitrust regulation of companies like Google or Amazon or Microsoft is so important is that they seem just unstoppable right now and that they'll always innovate and always do incredible things and we should just get out of their way. But Throughout history, that's been the case, and every single company like that, whether Standard Oil or Ford Motor Companies or IBM or General Electric or whatever else, eventually stumbles because they become slow and bureaucratic and beset by internal politics, and the people who had all the talent that started either die or leave or move on to other stuff, Um, and the the focus shifts and the company weakens. And the real risk of not having any serious antitrust activity against these companies is if they are allowed to continue to have monopolistic power and squash any potential competition, nothing new is created that could potentially replace them or compete with them. And at the same time, if they get worse and grow more stagnant, you then end up with this giant hole in the economy because the company that was supposed to be providing all the innovation is no longer doing so. Um, and the company that should take its place never got off the ground because the government allowed the monopoly to continue acting as monopoly. So to, to me, if anything, like whether or not the, the chat bot is too woke, like I don't give too a Too woke? Did you see the pictures of the, yeah. of the black Nazis? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I mean, whatever. <laughs> that wasn't woke. That was just no, insane. But I, I, for whatever reason, in and of itself, like we're in the first inning of AI and like, you know, just like the notion that something went wrong, whatever. Um, to me, it, it's less about 
that you had some bad programming or decision making, um, you know, at Bard and and more around specifically. I just think it's evidence that these companies eventually will or already are starting to fail, and you better have replacements lined up. Okay, let's talk about uh, your essay. Yeah, so I wrote this because um, it's called My Wellness Routine is Killing Me. And, and the reason I wrote it is I have been on this kick lately especially, and we'll go through it in detail, uh, of really trying to evaluate the baseline for my physical health. And I've been undergoing a battery of tests, none because they're necessary from a medical standpoint necessarily, all at my own initiation, um, but just basically take advantage of modern science and technology uh, and figure out exactly where I am on everything so that you know I can make good choices and hopefully live for a long time. Before you uh, really start in on the subject, though, I want to give you a small piece of credit because the first um, version of this that you sent me had the headline, my wellness routine is overwhelming my life or overwhelming me, something like yeah. that. And then you edited it to my wellness routine is killing me. So I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So good job. Yeah, you know what happened? I was telling someone about it, and as I was telling them it, I switched the headline in my head as it came out of my mouth, and I was like, "Oh, that's a better headline." Yeah, no, this, I, I I feel like if 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 I'd been editing, I would have changed it to that, but you beat me to it. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase what I wrote, and then we can talk about it. But but like I said, I, I've been on a wellness kick the last couple of years, both physical and mental. So here's what I've done. So on the mental health side. You know, I've been in talk therapy weekly forever, continue to do so. Um, underwent ketamine therapy, which I've talked a lot about a lot on this podcast. I underwent dialectical behavioral therapy. I learned how to meditate. I do so daily. I take fluoxetine, which is a generic Prozac for my OCD. I have made massive changes in my personal life. I have transformed how I see the world. I have transformed my role in it. I have formed new relationships, especially the one with Laurel, that have been exponentially positive. Um, I practice gratitude daily. I pray daily. I've learned to calm my anxieties by writing about them. And I'd say overall, I'm the calmest, most peaceful and content that I've ever been. I still feel tons of anxiety all of the time, um, but comparatively less than ever. And so then on the physical side, uh, as we've talked about in this podcast, I, I read a book last year, I got named Peter Atia called Outlive. And the thesis of the book was, we're kind of moving from medicine 2.0 to medicine 3.0. Medicine 2.0 was being able to say, okay, this particular disease causes these problems and this class of drugs can be used to treat it. And they're you know, specific science-based solutions, but they're very broad-based. And Atiyah's argument is with all the technology we have today, we can go much, much more granular for the individual and figure out based on their genetics, their blood type, their composition of their body, everything in there, and potentially see problems years or even decades before they occur, and then adjust your lifestyle, medication, and behavior accordingly um, so that you can not just live for a lot longer but be healthy throughout all of those years. And so when I read the book, I made a list of all the tests uh, that he recommended, and I've done all of them now. So, Wait, it, how many is it overall, would you say? Well, it, I, once I, in this list that I made, there's about 20 things, um, but of that, some of those were his list, and then some were other things. That were they all sense. available in New York, or did you have to go anywhere? All in New York. Okay. Yeah. Uh, New York's a, a good place to be for this kind of Seriously. stuff. Seriously, yeah. Um, so I had a full-body MRI. I had a DEXA scan, which is kind of like a bone density scan. Okay. A carotid artery scan, which is your uh, arteries and, and plaque towards your heart. 
a VO2 max test, which is your aerobic capacity, a Galeri multi-cancer test, a clearly heart scan, an APOE gene test, a colonoscopy, an endoscopy, a full body dermatology scan. I've measured my glucose and insulin levels, my PSA levels, my vision, my teeth, and I've had every conceivable blood test out there. I now work with a functional medicine doctor on top of my regular GP and a bunch of specialists. Okay, let me stop you there for one second. Um, how many of these tests were actually kind of like a little scary to undergo? Not, not really, because I kind of I was eager for them. I wanted to, but there were none that were unpleasant, or you had to sit. Well, in a the, the VO two max test, you know, you're exercising while this giant thing is cooked up to your face, so it's hard to breathe. And you're like running on a treadmill or something. This was a bike, but yeah, so that wasn't. That's like those commercials with Derek Jeter or whatever. I don't like, remember those, but yeah, <laughs> but that so that was unpleasant. Uh, obviously, I think anyone who's ever had a colonoscopy knows that the prep. Yeah, uh, we let's not, not talk about one. it. Yeah. Um, you know, blood tests. I'm not particularly sensitive to needles and stuff like that, so that wasn't a big deal for me. Um, the full body MRI scan. I had that one last week, and what was interesting about it is, so it was about an hour. Um, you're basically just lying there. There are some times where they ask you to breathe in or out, uh, but the thing that they did that was so small, but to me it was so cool, was they used VR to change your depth perception. So as a result, even though I was in this narrow tube, because of the VR, it didn't feel like wow, I was Wow, that is a tube. luxury and, exam. And <laughs> as a result, I mean, I'm not particularly claustrophobic, yeah. but I think I'm a little claustrophobic. But also those machines are pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty but awful. Yeah, I, I felt totally, uh, totally fine. So um, did, you, did you like, uh, it's funny, I haven't done one in a long time, but uh, did you like listen to a podcast or something or like or like uh i listened to they asked me to pick music and okay. I, picked, I picked lou reed so i listened to an hour of lou reed an hour of lou reed it's a lot of lou reed. that can that can affect your mood <laughs> yeah it was uh it was it was fine um like transformer I, uh, that would be a little rough. yeah uh maybe in you know what, what i could have done was watch something on netflix okay um but you didn't i didn't just i didn't have like a show ready to right, go right you know i, I kind of wish i did if if i were ever doing it again or if anyone's doing it um and you have the opportunity to watch netflix or whatever you know pick, pick a show going in that's a good list the best netflix shows to watch while, while getting a full body, full body MRI. MRI. i have not gotten the maybe so we'll got, make a list of that i've gotten the results of everything else so far i'm still got a couple of weeks away i think they need 14 or 15 business days to process the okay full body mri so i don't have results yet great so that's that then then you start getting to more into your less around testing and more around your behavior okay. right so i exercise five to six times a week uh, quit drinking during the early days of COVID, so that's now three and a half years ago or so. Have you had zero drinks in all no, the time? No, once in a blue moon. In fact, Tuesday night, the same time that I said, shitty day, I'm not doing the podcast the next day, we went out for dinner, and I did drink thinking, you know what, fuck it, I had such a bad day, let me let me see how this goes. And it was good and bad. It was good in that I had a good time at dinner, uh, maybe a slightly better time than I would have had otherwise. I felt like shit for the next three or four days. Really? How much did you drink? Probably two glasses of wine, maybe three. Wow. Two, two to three. Just like a shared a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it wasn't even that I was like so viciously hungover. I was just fucking depressed the rest of the week. And and do you think you you directly attribute that to the alcohol? I mean, I think it's probably a, a bunch of factors. It just kind of was a shitty week, but like overall, um, it definitely didn't help. So I I learned a lesson there. Okay. Um, so, uh, quit smoking weed seven months ago, as we talked about quite a bit on this podcast. Um, I tried pretty hard to eat healthy. 
I try to get enough sleep. I take a wide array of supplements ranging from vitamin D to iron to NAC to methylation to a couple more I can't remember the names of. Um, I've worked on my sleep hygiene. I've installed blackout shades. I sleep with the bedroom at 67 degrees. I sometimes remember to do things like shower before bed. Um, I take a statin every day. I monitor my body, body measurements regularly through this sort of complicated scale. I measure my steps, my heart rate. Uh, the only thing I sort of tried and rejected was the Oura Ring, which we've talked about, because it provided so much data about my sleep that it got me so panicked about not getting enough sleep that as a result, I was getting even less sleep oh because of the ring. So I, I ditched the ring. And no cold plunge. No, I don't like being immersed in I know you've said that, but I just thought like, because you're you know, doing all these do, other things. I did a couple of weeks ago go somewhere and there was a flotation table, but it didn't, you didn't get wet. It just sort of like, it was like a water, it was almost like being in a water bed. You didn't bed. get wet at all? Like No. Really? I wouldn't have done it if I got wet. So you just float on you a kind table. Kind of float and you hear this sort of noise and it's pretty relaxing. Yeah, I could see that, that being cool. good. It, yeah. it, it seems like a kind of a mean trick to do it that you don't get wet at all, but. Well, like, if, it, if it were, it wouldn't happen. Well, okay. So, so but but this is now what gets us to the point of this, this blog post. Here's now the central complaint, which is, so I just listed all of the stuff I've done for my mental health, all the tests I've taken for my physical health, all of the behaviors that I've adopted daily, whether it's, you know, taking a statin or exercising every day or practicing gratitude or meditating or whatever it is. I'm doing a lot. I really think it would be hard to argue that I'm not. And this is where my frustration came in. So I got, I also took that same shitty Tuesday, my VO2 max test, and I got the result the next day. And the doctor said, you know, well, the good news is you're in the 95th percentile. It's pretty good. Bad news is that's not nearly good enough. Um, you need to be able to go up from that. So what does that mean, doctor? It means you need to start doing cardio five days a week. Now, the, the good news is they actually want me to do it less rigorously than I'm doing it now. So they want to uh, do what's called zone two training, which is like 60 to 70% uh, of your heart rate as opposed to you know, maxing it out. So it's not that, um, it's not nearly as hard as what I was doing before. But I left with my trainer three days a week, as long as I'm in town. Um, and then if you add in five cardios a week, that's eight times a week. There aren't even eight days in a week. So th <laughs> th this was the beginning of me starting to feel kind of overwhelmed, which is like, how can I possibly exercise or need to exercise or attempt to exercise more times than there are days in the week, right? And, and then I kind of kept going, right? So like, for example, I met with, as part of the program with the functional doctor, functional medicine doctor, uh, I met with their nutritionist. And what she told me is what I've read a bunch in a tea and other stuff, which is, you know, the, the U.S. dietary guidelines on protein, they believe are very insufficient, and in their view, and, and I would say my, this nutritionist was sort of mid-aggressive, meaning aggressive, but there's people who are further out there. Her view was you need 1.7 grams of protein per kilogram of your weight. So for me, that's about 135 grams of protein every day. I can't get that much protein, dude. Like, I don't know, I don't know how your system works, but like, even if I have, you know, yogurt at breakfast and some sort of fish or chicken at lunch and some sort of fish or meat at dinner and a protein shake at some point and whatever else, you know, at best I'm getting to like a hundred. And part of the problem is you, your body can only absorb, call it 30-ish from what I've read, grams of protein at a time. So 
yeah, you can go eat a giant steak that might have 70 grams of protein, but but most of it isn't going to be absorbed, be, be absorbed right. anyway. And so I'm like, okay, I, now I, I can't exercise eight days a week. I can't get the amount of protein that they want, right? Meditation. So I meditate 20 minutes every day, but what's the best practice? You know, you should be doing that twice a day. Like in the morning, I have really done a good job carving out 20 minutes, at least six days a week, often seven, to meditate. And there are days like today where I really enjoy it. There are days where I'm bored out of my fucking mind. But there <laughs> are days like today where, like, you know, I was kind of sad when it was over. But, like, if I had to, on my schedule, add something to my daily to-do list that was, like, afternoon meditation, like, that's too fucking much, right? Or, like, exercise. Like, Peter Atia's book, he, he goes through his exercise routine. The dude spends hours a week on grip strength. Just on grip strength. Forget about all How's the other stuff. I don't, who knows? Probably bad. I don't know. I don't ever work on it. Um, who the fuck has time to spend or the inclination hours a day on their grip strength, right? Or like I just I wasn't a supplement taker until I just did all of these blood tests and figured out where I had deficiencies. And that's when I started taking these different supplements. And I was looking at the instructions for them. And I'm not even doing it right because a lot of times take this one between these meals, this one between these meals, this one is a drink. And it's like, you know what? I can once a day, at the same time that I take my statin, my fluoxetine, I can take supplements. What I cannot do is over the course of the day, oh, no, now I have to take the NAC because I'm between meals. Oh, and, and this this one should be taken, you know, between lunch and dinner. Like, it's too fucking, it's too much. Do you so think I, people just employ someone who just does this? Isn't that well, but, what, but, like, but, all these billionaires have? Like, maybe, a guy? Maybe, but this is the point, right? So, like, I'm just going to read this paragraph. Okay, read this paragraph. This all seems crazy. I am a pretty high-functioning person with a large personal team of people who help me every day with everything from scheduling to IT to paying bills, to walking the dog, to grocery shopping, to errands, laundry, cooking, cleaning, to exercise, meditation, therapy, and anything else you can imagine. I don't know how much more optimized my life could possibly be. And yet I still feel like the requirements of being healthy are just too much. So no, I mean, I don't really understand. Like, I don't think you can have it much easier than I do. And yet I feel like the totality of all of this is just simply too much which means if you're not lucky enough to have the resources that I have, look, it's resources and then I make a very deliberate choice with my money, which is I spend a lot of it to buy back myself time, right? Um, and I don't spend as much of it on planes and houses or designer furniture, stocks or whatever it is, I buy time, right? That's one of the big things that I do with my money. Um, but, but given that I'm doing that, and maybe normally someone at a higher income level than me is, is the kind of person who would have as, as much help as I get. Um, but, but you put that all together, I just don't know how the fuck you're supposed to, to do all this, right? It's not like I don't have, I, mean, I got my day job of running the fund. I still own the consulting firm. I own the bookstore. We've got the mobile voting project, which I think is the only fucking scalable solution to democracy. We've got Solving Hunger, which is literally about feeding kids. We, other than last week, do this podcast twice a week. I've written three books. I'm writing a TV show. I write a monthly column for the Daily News. You know, a Gotham Book Prize. I teach at Columbia. Like, I got other shit to do. Like, I can't spend all of my time meditating and exercising and taking supplements at the right time and eating protein and it's just like, I guess the question that I, that ultimately this all leads to is like the trade-off between health span and lifespan. So yes, of course, objectively speaking, we all are 
at least I want to live for as long as I possibly can, and I want those years to be as healthy as they possibly can be. And I recognize that all these activities we've been talking about are the best practices towards getting there. But, um, and even Atiyah says this in his book, like, it, you also have to be happy along the way, or otherwise it's all kind of pointless, right? L- living forever in misery doesn't do you any good. I wouldn't say all of this is causing misery, but the question I do have is, but it's sort of leading to a kind of misery. In well, a sense, or right? just what are, what are the trade-offs, right? Like, at what point do I say the requirements to maximize my health span and lifespan um, and mental health and everything else outweigh my ability to do the things I like, spend time with people I spend, want to spend time with, accomplish the things that are meaningful to me, um, and when does you know how big of a priority should this be? And that's where I'm. De- it's clearly a very big priority for me. And look, no one told me go take all these twenty different medical tests and do all of the stuff. I chose to do all of it. But now, having done all of it, um, I can incorporate most of the advice. And I am lucky so far that the results have shown that I actually am in really good health. So that's great. But um, I'm now trying to figure out. I guess the next logical question in this process is. Where does it fit into the overall list of priorities? Well, so I would say two things to it. One, you mentioned meditation, which is something you'd struggled with for a long time, but you kept at it and you found a kind of groove that works for you, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's almost like a good model for like like, like all these things, which is which are the things that you're able to do and kind of get something out of and that don't sort of upend your life in any way? Yeah, well, here's the difference. So meditation... If you're doing it consistently, and I wouldn't even say right, just consistently, is shown pretty quickly to help kind of rewire your brain a little bit to bring you a sense of more presence and mindfulness. And what I have noticed is in situations where I might have reacted a certain way, um, generally in sort of a hostile negative way, I now have this extra beat a lot of, not always, but a lot of the time. Um, that allows me to sort of think things through a little more and not make mistakes, right. right? So, like, I see the value there. The protein on the hopes that ultimately contributes to an overall factor so that when I'm 83, I'm walking more upright than, than <laughs> otherwise. Like, who the fuck knows? Right, but see, th- so that's a perfect... That, I mean, I feel like that division is a perfect one where you've done a co- kind of like a cost-benefit yeah. and one makes sense and one doesn't. And and maybe there will be something... Well, but when I'm 83, I might be like, shit, I really should have had that extra piece of salmon at lunch when I was 52. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, who knows? <laughs> is that what you're worried about? I mean, it's just a question of like, it is... I have set this up rhetorically to lead you and the listeners to say... You're right, this is all important, but it's not all important. And you can't sacrifice all of the other things that actually make life worth living solely to try to maximize your lifespan. Sure. So, I, again, like I said, I constructed the argument in a way that led me and all of you likely to that conclusion. Fine. But, you know, when the shit comes down to it, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to say, like, okay, I was playing like Rummy Cube on my fucking computer listening to a podcast and instead, I could have been working on my grip strength. And when I'm 93, <laughs> I wish you had. I'd have like a much healthier life. I don't. What does know. the grip strength do for you? Because that's a big thing when it's you're older. You some can't big, pick shit up. Yeah, like, yeah. It's some big marker of of all of that. I mean, the dude literally like hangs from stuff, and he's 
you know, uh, Peter T is not a model for me. And quite frankly, I think if you read the whole book, I don't know anyone that would want to be like him. I would not want to be like him. I learned a lot from him. Right. Uh, but that's almost what you want out of a, out of a book like that, right? You want the super freak who's out there doing everything. And then you're like, okay, what parts of this can I learn from and incorporate sure. into I my mean, life? And we'll which take, parts are take like, my that. first book, the, the fixer, right? I mean, it was sort of a version of that for sort of tech and politics and like, I don't think many people, if anyone would read that and say, I want to emulate that word for word, but were there ideas yeah. in there that people have used and, and found helpful? Sure. Okay. Well, that's good. I Look, I think we should probably wrap up the conversation there on this because I think I think you just said it perfectly. You're going to have the... Um, you're going to have the piece published online mm-hmm. for people to read. And then I think we'll definitely come back to this. I mean, it's, it's been a theme for, for the entire length we've been doing the podcast together um, and should continue to be. And I think we definitely want to hear from people who, with their own, um, the, the way they've solved issues like this or the way they've been engaged in them and whatever advice they might have for you too. It would be interesting to hear from. Okay. Um, you have a recommendation? Uh, yeah, I have a novel that I read that I uh, liked. Um, I wouldn't say it's like run out and stop what you're doing and buy it, but I did enjoy it. It's called Everyone Who Can Forgive Me Is Dead. I'm just opening up my list right now to make sure I got the name right, but I believe Jenny Hollander is the name of the author. That It is her name. Um, yeah, fun book about someone who has a very traumatic experience. It then kind of the, her, some things happen in her life that bring it all back to the forefront and she has to try to sort of figure out what she did and what she's going to do now to deal with it. Um, and, you know, sort of a psychological thriller. And it's, it, it's a good book. You know, I'm just looking up to see, do you know who Jenny Hollander is? Other than the person who wrote Everyone Can Forgive Me is Dead? Uh, yeah. No. Just looking her up. Do you know uh, No, I don't think it is who I thought it was. Um, a friend of mine's wife. It's a writer, and his last name is Hollander, but I don't know. It's not him. It's no, not, her. not her. Never well, mind. Yeah. I'll just forget about that. Bradley, thank but you. Even if it were her, it doesn't accrue any benefit to him. <laughs> that would just to be, it, it just be interesting to, to me. Another guy taking credit for a woman's work. <laughs> no, no, but it, he, he would be excited that his wife had published a book. Well, or maybe he's the kind of person that is so competitive. Some There are couples who <laughs> uh, die. What's that famous line? Was it? Was it gay to Lisa or someone, someone like that? Like every time a friend succeeds, a little part of me dies. Yeah, was that gay to Lisa? I feel like that's it wasn't every gay to Lisa, yeah. but it was someone like that, some fucking pretentious, you know, New York 1960s, 70s. It's funny you mentioned gay to Lisa because I've been reading a bunch of his old Esquire pieces, and however pretentious he might be, God, was he a good writer? His piece on Floyd Patterson is one of the best pieces I've ever read. Um, there you I, go. I will go back and read it. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, check it out. Peace out, Bradley. All right. Firewall is recorded at my bookstore, P&T Knitwear, located at 180 Orchard Street on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. We'd love to hear from you with questions, feedbacks, or ideas for a guest. Just email me at bradley at firewall.media or find me on LinkedIn. And to keep up with what's on my mind and my latest writing, please follow my new substack at bradleytust.substack.com. Thanks again for listening.